Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir. Today is Thursday, October 7th, 2021. And the uh, two topics that we're going to focus on today are the NFL and Major League Baseball. We are now in the midst of the playoffs for baseball. I love the postseason tournament in baseball. It brings about one of the most exciting playoffs in all of sports, in my opinion, I think it's very underrated. If you go back each and every year, the, the drama, the comebacks, the domination, you get a flavor of all of them. That's the cool thing about baseball is you get a little bit of everything. And usually these series are very, very competitive. So how did we get here? Tonight's matchups are the Tampa Rays hosting the Boston Red Sox. And what's going on right now as we speak is the White Sox getting pummeled by the Astros 6-0 at the time of this recording. So I, I posed the question, how did we get to this point? Well, the Red Sox won against their arch nemesis, their division rival, the hated New York Yankees. They took care of business. They were able to get to their ace very quickly, Cole, Garrett Cole, and they knocked him out of the game very early. He didn't even make it three innings. So the Red Sox had a game plan. They executed on their game plan. They did what they needed to do, and they've advanced to be able to face another arch nemesis. Doesn't get as much hype as Yankees Red Sox, but it probably should. The Rays and Red Sox, I mean, let's be honest, those two teams over the last 10, 15 years, it's been their division. The AL East has been all about, mostly the Red Sox, four World Series since 2004, a bunch of division titles. But the Rays have held their own as well. They've been to a couple World Series. Yeah, they haven't won, uh, but they're always the team that nobody expects to make it, and then they win the division, or they make a run in the playoffs, or they'll get to ALCS, Game seven. Extremely underrated franchise. The Tampa Rays. And over on the other side, we had a very exciting game last night between the Dodgers. Excuse me. Between the Dodgers and uh, it was one of those things where as you're watching it, you're kind of thinking at any point they're going to unload because they're the Dodgers. Now, the Cardinals coming into this game were the hottest team in baseball. They'd won 17 in a row. They'd been pitching really well. They'd been getting timely hitting. Nolan Arenado proved the investment to get him was worthwhile. Same with Goldie. Goldschmidt was raking. And they came into this game knowing that they're probably going to be facing the best pitching staff, maybe in all of baseball, with all uh, 
I'll ex- you know, let's say aside from the San Francisco Giants because they they have a they have a very strong claim that they're the best pitching staff in baseball. But uh, aside from them, the Dodgers, let's face it, they're a juggernaut in pitching. They've got aces up and down their pitching lineup, right? And I've used the word underrated a lot. How about Urias? Urias is extremely underrated. First 20-game winner in the National League in quite a while. And uh, he had his best year so far. He's still young, believe it or not. And uh, really finding his kind of – he's getting into a groove. He's finding his pitching, his location is getting more and more sharp, more and more accurate. And he's got a command of his pitches. And I think that's been the big, biggest difference maker for him so far this year. And, of course, Walker Bueller and, of course, Max Scherzer. I mean, this team is loaded, even without Clayton Kershaw and uh, Trevor Bauer, who are maybe the, I don't know, two best pitchers on their team. Um, I mean, could you imagine if they were out, they'd have like five aces? <laughs> that's ridiculous. But anyways, and they were going up against a, the, you know, you know, the, the saying old wily veteran in Adam Wainwright. And he pitched his tail off. I mean, he kept the Cardinals in the game as long as he could. He was fantastic. This game was everything that it was hyped to be. I, I think a lot of Dodger fans were really, really on pins and needles. The Cardinals were, as they say, playing on house money. And the way they played showed it. Outside of a fourth inning home run off the bat of Justin Turner, Wainwright was fantastic. He took them into inning number six. And uh, their bullpen, the main guys did well. Garcia, inning and two-thirds, shutout ball. Gallegos, they brought their closer in early, which may have been the wrong move, by the way. Pitches a shutout in the inning he pitched. And then McFarland and Reyes come in. And Reyes, keep in mind, he was pulled from his role as the closer. I understand he was an all-star, but he was pulled from that role for a reason. So I'm not sure why they decided to flip-flop. I don't know. Maybe it just, hey, let's keep us in the game as long as possible and hope we can score a run. Maybe. Maybe it was, we're playing for extra innings. Why? Because they got some team speed. We saw that last night. Edmund stole two bases. O'Neill stole a base. So they had three steals in this game. They could have got more if they had more base runners, probably. Let's see here. They got five hits and four walks. And three steals. So they can manufacture runs. So if they're playing for extra innings, they want the OT action, bringing that guy in from second base. I don't think that would have been a problem. They could have won that game. But guess what? Coulda, woulda, shoulda. That's not how the playoffs work. That's not how sports works. The Dodgers were able to put up one more run. And for some reason, it just seems like the Dodgers always have an unheralded hero to get these knockoffs, walk-offs, excuse me, the walk-off home runs. Well, I guess knocked it out of the park too. Uh, but it's not, usually it's not like bets 
or Justin Turner or one of the uh, Max Muncie, one of their big superstars. Last night, it was somebody that came off the bench. Taylor. Taylor had been in a like a one for twenty eight, one for twenty seven, something like that slump. And then they call on him, and he comes through. Two run shot, wins the game. Send the fans home, super excited. Dodgers pitching staff did really well. I think the one. I guess, questionable move that a lot of Dodger fans had for Dave Roberts was pulling Max Scherzer after four and a third innings. Now, he'd only given up one run. He'd struck out four. He probably had another inning or two in him. He could have at least finished that inning. But I'm going to have to trust that Dave Roberts, being in tune with his pitching staff as much as he is, probably noticed that Max Scherzer did not have his A stuff. Now, you may come back and be like, well, if he didn't have his A stuff, how did he go forward a third only giving up one run? Because he's a pro. Because he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And sometimes guys like that, back in the day, Maddox or Clemens or Glavin or Smoltz, Randy Johnson, you name it. Any of these Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame to be, hopefully for Roger Clemens. It's a quick shout out to the Rocket. But all these guys, when they don't have their best stuff, they're able to kind of change up their mentality, let's just say. It's not like, oh, no, I don't have the goods today. I'm screwed. No, it's okay. I got to reinvent myself a little bit. I got to dig a little deeper. I just have to hit my location. If I don't get my location, I need to be really crafty. And that's where the catcher really comes into play in terms of pitching, uh, catching a really good game, calling a really good game. Very theme of the show so far, underrated, right? Very underrated position, extremely difficult. And those guys don't get the credit that they deserve in calling games. I love catchers. But that was what happened with, with Max Scherzer. He didn't have his best stuff, but he came in and pitched his tail off as well and kept him in the game as long as possible. Dave Roberts pulled him knowing that, hey, I've got a guy who's even got more electric stuff than Scherzer right behind him in Joe Kelly. And then Gratterall. And then Blake Trinan. And then Knable. And then Kenley Jansen. And then there was no then after that because the ballgame was over. So Dave Roberts played it perfectly. And it's going to take a perfect game planning, managerial effort to beat these Giants. So let's get into that series. Look, the Giants, they should be insulted. They're underdogs as a 107-win team. Never seen that before. They're underdogs. So what more do they have to do to be favorites? Now, the Dodgers aren't heavy favorites, but they are favored. 
And I think most experts, so-called experts, when they've given their predictions for the playoffs, they've gone with the Dodgers to win this round. Outside of maybe the Bay Area uh, commentators, I think nationwide, people feel that Dodgers have more talent than the San Francisco Giants and that they should prevail and that it starts with game one with someone who was a probably a, a Cy Young candidate for 95% of the year in Walker Buehler. He had some road bumps uh, coming down the stretch. But Logan Webb is no chump. I mean, he is one of the reasons why this team won 107 games. Now, here is the most remarkable stat of all, okay? Logan Webb at home. 6-0 and with a 1.96 ERA. It gets better. The opponent's batting average against at home is 174. Those numbers are lights out. Lights out. Now, against the Dodgers specifically, he pitched against them three times. Total of 16 innings, 17 Ks. Only give up seven hits. Only walked four. And gave up four earned runs. In 16 innings. Just some quick math because I didn't do the calculations, but that's a two-something ERA against the Dodgers. That's anywhere, home, road, whatever. So when you add it all up, Dodgers should not be getting a lot of hits tomorrow night. Logan Webb should be keeping this team in the game. The X factor then becomes Walker Buehler. Is he who he was in mid-season form, or, I mean, look, he's not, he doesn't have a huge frame. Sometimes guys like that wear out. He's not Tin Lincecum style, but he, he's not Roger Clemens either in terms of size. You know, those big thighs, able to push off that rubber. That's where a lot of the strength and velocity comes from, that push off. And Walker Buehler, He's just got a dynamite arm, let's face it. And with that, you can get some arm fatigue. You can get get a little tired. And I think the Giants have a crafty enough group of hitters that they can exploit that. I'm not saying they're going to bust out with like nine runs, but if they get a mistake pitch, they're going to capitalize. They're not going to miss it. Yes, I am taking the Giants in in game one. Now, before we get any further, let me give my MLB predictions. And then after the break, can get into a little bit more as to the whys of it. My World Series, you guys ready for this? Huge, huge upsets along the way to get the Red Sox in the World Series. Now, before you guys start booing and calling me a homer and all this and all that, I'm going to kind of walk you through it in a moment. Right? This isn't a homer play. If you remember, before the season started, I said I didn't even think that they were a playoff team. I thought they were going to be close, that they were going to be better than people thought, but they were going to miss out. So I'm not totally biased when it comes to the Red Sox. 
However, I think they will represent the American League and in the National League. It's easy to say the winner of the NL uh, divisional matchup between the Giants and the Dodgers is going to go to the World Series. And I'm going to take the easy route and say that the winner of this series goes to the World Series. No disrespect to the Brewers or the Braves. Brewers have a formidable pitching staff. The Braves have a crazy good lineup. But all in all, these are the best two teams in baseball. They won 107 and 106, respectively. I think the San Francisco Giants are going to show that edge. Just like they won one more game than the Dodgers, I think they win one more game against the Dodgers once again and win this opening round series. Red Sox Giants with the winner being the Boston Red Sox once again. So there you have it. Red Sox Giants World Series with the Red Sox upsetting the Giants. More so because I favor the American League. I favor a team that had to go up against the Blue Jays and the Yankees for so much of the season, and they had to outslug them. Okay, the only way to beat the Blue Jays and the Yankees, let's face it, is with like decent pitching. But bottom line is you got to outslug those teams because those teams put up a lot of runs. Some of the most prolific offenses in baseball. So if they're able to outslug those teams, I don't have a doubt in my mind that they could do that against the Giants. In a seven-game series, I think they score more runs. I think they win more games. Red Sox will be the World Series champs for this 2021 season. Okay, let's take a quick commercial timeout. When we come back, I'll add a little bit more flavor to that. We're also going to be joined by the mad backer, Adrian Ross. He should be joining us shortly. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, NFL so far at the uh, quarter mile pole. Sort of, I guess, right? Four games in usually is a quarter mile pole. Uh, but this year we have 17 games. So I guess uh, after the first quarter on Sunday's games, we'll be at the quarter mile pole after Q1 uh goes down to zero. The clock goes down to zero. Uh, but anyways, let's take a quick timeout. We'll come back, talk more MLB playoffs and NFL right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. 
plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Second segment of the show here. I want to finish the uh, MLB analysis very, very quickly before we shift to the NFL Let's run through these series really quickly. So I already told you guys the Giants will beat the Dodgers. The Brewers will will beat the Braves. Because, let's face it, pitching wins in October. That's the old adage, right? So I think the Brewers are going to win. They have the better pitching staff. I think the Giants are going to win. They're just a tiny bit better than the Dodgers. The NLCS will be Giants and Brewers with the Giants advancing in the American League. You already know if I'm taking the Red Sox, that means that they have to get through the Rays. Look, the Rays were a better team during the course of the season. Absolutely. But how many times have we seen it, even in the NFL, when teams have to match up for a third time in the NFL in the playoffs? Example, Buccaneers and Saints from last season. You get to know your opponent so well that good teams figure out a way to win. It's like there's no way in hell that you're going to sweep us for all three games, and the Buccaneers did just that. They came back and they won the most important of the three games. And I think the Red Sox are going to do the same thing with the Rays because they didn't have Chris Sale for all those games during the course of the season. So if one team improved, it was Chris Sale on the Red Sox side and it was uh, Nelson on the Rays side as a hitter. I give advantage Red Sox. uh, In the series that's going on right now, the White Sox and Astros, look, the White Sox are going to be a really good team, but it's not their year just yet. They're young. They're going to learn to, to really excel together. But I think the Astros and their experience, they're going to represent H-Town and win that series. Again, Red Sox have been really good against the Astros over the years. That's how we're going to get to the Red Sox and the Giants in the World Series. So agree with me, disagree with me, tweet me, holler at me. Let me know what you think. That's my MLB playoff prediction. Two really, really quick managerial notes. The first one is that the Padres fired Jace Tingler. No surprise. They were supposed to be a contender, and they ended up being under 500. Inexcusable with that talented, talented lineup led by Tatis, of course. How about Bochi coming out of retirement and filling that seat, going back to the team where it all started for him in San Diego? That would be interesting. The other managerial note that I want to mention, it actually has to do uh, somewhat related with uh, with our guest, uh, the mad backer, Adrian Ross, and that's Dusty Baker. Now, what does Dusty Baker have to do with Adrian? Well, they both have roots in Sacramento. Dusty Baker, if you guys don't know this, 
He has now won a division with five different teams. That is extraordinary. He won with the Giants. He won a division with the Cubs. And by the way, he got to World Series with the Giants. The Cubs got to the national, the NLCS. He won division with the Reds. He won the division with the Nationals. The Nats have been in the playoffs every single year uh, that he was there. And then, of course, they bring in Dave Roberts and then world, win the World Series. I don't think that was because Dusty did anything uh, except for put together a team and teach those guys and prep those guys for the lights of October. And they came through, of course. But Dusty Baker, man, oh, man. Again, this is, I think, the seventh time that I've used this term, underrated. Dusty Baker is the epitome of underrated. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike Tomlin in the NFL. I don't think Tomlin gets the respect that he deserves either. Because Tomlin, he gets to the playoffs each and every year. But they're always calling for his head on a platter for some random reason. I don't know why. He's got the Steelers as a competitive team each and every single year. So Mike Tomlin, to me, is the Dusty Baker of football. Tomlin, very underrated and we now have the Madbacker Adrian Ross with us. Big A, I don't know if you heard or if you were on when I was talking about Dusty Baker, a fellow Sacramentan. Do you know Dusty at all? Do you, do you guys have any kind of relationship? Or uh, I know it's different generations, but I was just making the case that Dusty Baker is maybe the uh, most unheralded super manager, maybe of all time in all sports. He's now won the division with five different teams, Big A. Five different right. titles. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've uh, seen him out in town, and you know, just to uh, be at the King Kings games. Um, you know, when he had some time off. But uh, yeah, you know, saying saying that, I was just talking about. <laughs> I was just talking about that, and just look at him and Larusso going up against each other. Just some longtime OG managers in the game. Big time. Big time Bay Area roots, obviously Larissa with the uh, A's. Maybe one of the more like exciting teams of all time, especially in our generation, right? Canseco right. and McGuire and Ricky Henderson and Dave Henderson and star-studded lineup. Cool. They had a lot of characters <laughs> also, which makes for some drama. And then of course Dusty was with the Giants with Barry Bonds. So I mean, these guys managed the best of the best. And their their teams were very good. They got to World Series. They won World Series. Uh, but bringing it back to Dusty, though, man, he just does not get the respect that he deserves as a guy who's won the division with five teams. I mean, when you look at it, Pete Carroll was with the Jets and the Seahawks. He won the division with one team, right, Big A? When you look right. at it, uh, Belichick was with Cleveland 
and the Patriots. He won the division with one team. Could you imagine an NFL guy winning a division with five different teams? I mean, Andy Reid's the first to get to 100 and 100 wins with two franchises being Philly and Kansas City. Five teams. Right. I mean, it's yeah, that's, crazy. That's, <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that, you know, that's, that's, that's really hard to imagine in football. I mean, ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, five. no doubt about it. And keep in mind something. When you're talking about baseball, of course, you say that because you've got extreme insight into the workings of what an NFL head coach has to deal with, right? But something that you right. and I have not been a part of that I, uh, I think maybe gets underestimated by people is not just are you managing the major league club, but you're also channeling all the way down through the minor league system, keeping in touch with those coaches and managers all the way down to see who's ready to come up and, and recommendations and, and then developing them when they come up. I mean, extremely, extremely difficult. That, that'd be like the NFL coach, you know, uh, managing a Canadian football league team and an NFL Europe team and like a team in Japan or something. I mean, it's just unheard of <laughs> responsibilities, you know, to have a whole minor right. league system. So, again, if I need a manager, I'm bringing in Dusty. The analogy I was using, Big A, was that Mike Tomlin's kind of similar, not in that he's won the division with five teams, but he gets to the playoffs every single year. So I think that Mike Tomlin's kind of the underrated guy in the uh, NFL. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a great pick right there. And then, you know, and then he's done it in different styles, you know, like how you're saying, which, which obviously is a prerequisite to be able to do that year in and year out. You know, like they've done it running, they've done it passing, you know, they've uh, had balanced attack. You know, um, kind of reminds me of a, uh, another coach you could throw out there is the uh, Stanford coach in football. Shaw. I, you know, I feel he's like, yeah, Shaw, he, he, he's probably about like that in college. You know, Stanford, not necessarily in the last few years been up there, but, you know, they they beat some teams every year, year in and year out. It's like how they did last weekend. Ask SC how they feel about Stanford, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like they like that's the team. No matter how good or bad Stanford is, they're always giving USC a tough fight, and uh, if not winning outright, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Shaw is the uh, is is a very similar comp as well in the college ranks. You know, these guys are really good, man. These guys are really good. It'd be interesting to see, you know, when they leave their sports, what mark do they leave, development wise, coaching wise? Do they have like coaching tree, you know, kind of like what we hear about for, uh, you know, Bill Walsh started kind of the coaching tree and, and Holmgren and, and et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, what mark did they leave on the sport? That'll be something that I'm interested to see. Do a lot of Dusty's guys, do a lot of Tomlin's guys, uh, Shaw's guys, do they, you know, end up coaching around uh, big time college football ranks or the NFL ranks? Time will tell. But if they're as good at, managing and coaching uh, players, I suspect that they are with the uh, coaching staff as well. So, Adrian, we're at the uh, quarter-mile pole in the NFL. Four games in. It's been an exciting four games in the NFL. Four weeks. Who are the teams that have really, really surprised you so far in terms of uh, whether it be offensively, defensively, wins, loss record, 
what what are some of the surprises for you that you've observed? Hmm, surprise teams. I, I'll say uh, right off the bat, I'll say Kansas City. Not 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 in the sense of you know necessarily record wise, but in the sense of just like how poor their defense has looked. You know, like I, that was always my question for them, and you know, I was the guy a couple of years ago thinking that. Deshaun Watson and and the Texans should have beat them, you know. Um, but you know he was able; they were able to pull it out with the offense and get it there. But and then uh, then they ran up against the Titans and they were able to stop stop Big Henry, stop old King Henry, and uh, running running the ball. But they were actually the first team that ran a four down line, so it kind of just worked and just fell in place. But you know, for them to look as poor as they've looked and what they've done with Chris Jones, I, I, would, I, would, I would actually say the Chiefs um, in terms of looking not as good as I thought they would have. Fair point. And you, you know, know something? When, when, when the defense doesn't do well, you know what it also kind of exploits your lack of running game? Or maybe right. it's flip-flopped. Maybe it's the lack of running game is what leads you to a bad defense because you don't have time of possession. I don't know which is which. Which do you think it is, Adrian? Is it one? Does one beget the other? Because it seems like when you've got a really, really good defense, uh, it sometimes goes hand in hand with a good running game. But you know, I'm not super impressed so far with the LSU kid in the backfield, Hilaire for the Chiefs. Uh, I don't think that they scare anybody running the ball. I think. Everything's kind of uh, up to Mahomes, Kelsey, and the Cheetah. Right. Yeah, because you figure the uh, Chargers, they, you know, that's what they let them do. They said, go ahead, and, go ahead and run the ball, you know, so then he had the inflated numbers. But that was the strategy of the defense was to not let Mahomes and the Cheetah get loose, you know, make them keep having to get those first downs, and that's what they did, and they're able to get a turnover. And that's that's how you want to do it on defense is keep 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 making those keep making those young guns check that ball down <laughs> check that ball down because they're not going to want to do it over and over. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and 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 that's them on that's them on the AFC side. Then I would say the Cowboys on the flip. You know, the Cowboys with as poor. As, as poor as their defense looked, and again, I had said it last year. You know, it's really tough to change from a from a four three scheme and then in one year go to a three four with all the same personnel, pretty much that you had running the four three. And so now you can tell that you know them going back down to the four three, the old school Seattle when uh, Seattle had their their uh, famous defense. Um, you know. Now they're Legion able to get after the quarterback, but um, uh, what was that? Oh, I said the Legion of Boom. Legion of Boom, that was it right there, the Legion of Boom. You know, so the Cowboys, you know, and Diggs, Diggs out there in the secondary, you know, uh, you get a guy like that that is a risk taker and he's, you know, he's blanketing guys um, right along with that pass rush and you got a young guy in Parsons um, mixed in along with, with the veterans and Dak playing well. Uh, the Cowboys are, you know, a big surprise, especially from last year, their defense looking so poor. Hey, Adrian, let me ask you, why would why would you switch 
from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Does that mean that you made a mistake as a coaching staff in having it be a 4-3 in the first place? Or is it more like, hey, we've now developed maybe a certain player or two to be able to, um, I don't know, cover running backs better or, you know, drop back better. Mm-hmm. He's now improved on his vision. Uh, he's now a better field general. Which is it, do you think? Is it more we made a mistake or is it now we feel that these guys are ready to do it? I feel that it's a, a mistake, you know, um, and whether it's it's the mistake in the coaching hire <laughs> and or whether it's, you know, because the coach kind of perpetuates the mistake in, you know, only being able to use, like, Nolan. He comes in there, and I didn't understand it. I was like, how are they going to run a 3-4 with Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith are both middle linebackers. So now – they have to play the 3-4 middle, which is totally different than a 4-3 middle because the strong side middle is going to face more linemen. The weak side kind of just gets to run free. And, but you have to be able to – and they both last year, uh, to me, were playing like they were the same guy. And both guys, you don't want two linebackers doing the same thing at the same time. So that was a big problem. And then he tried to fix it by bringing in his guy, Alden Smith who knows how to run it already. So I think they had a combination <laughs> of, okay, I think these guys can do it, and I'm also going to bring in a guy that I know they can do it, but then what is everybody else doing? Like now, guys, you know, you had your D tackles that are used to playing three and five techniques or so, and now they're, you just have them playing the nose. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Whereas, like you said, you see Pittsburgh, when they go get talent, um, they're getting a talent for the system that they want to run. And they're bringing someone in to run the system that they have the talent for. Very interesting points. Adrian, can you stay with us after this commercial break? I want to play a little game of uh, contender or pretender with you. All right, let's do it. Okay, stay with us, everyone. We're going to take our final commercial timeout. We'll play the aforementioned game with the Mad Backer, Adrian Ross, as well as giving you some Week 5 predictions. Stay with us. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominent, 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 prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the third and final segment of the Mike Abadir Show. We are super stoked to be joined by friend of the show, the mad backer himself, Adrian Ross. Uh, Big A, we said before the commercial break, we're going to play a little game of pretender or contender. Let's get right to it. So you'd mentioned mentioned the surprise teams. Okay, so I'm going to start with each of those since we've just talked about them. The Cowboys sitting atop the NFC East that's not a big shocker because the NFC least has been what has been dubbed for a long time. They are three and one. Are they a contender or a pretender? They are a contender. I say they are a contender with the with the wideouts, with the line, with the with the depth that they have on defense to be able to get through this season. I uh, I put them in the contender category. And keep in mind, everyone, as Adrian said about the wideouts, they still haven't got Michael Gallup back yet. So they're going to add to their wideouts. <laughs> you know, they're going to—they're only going to get richer in terms of offensive weapons at their disposal. Uh, a quick question before we move off of the Cowboys: Looks like Dak is a hundred percent. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. Look, look, he's definitely looking 100, 100%. And if he's not, <laughs> and he's doing what he's doing now, everybody better watch out. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Okay, let's go to the NFC South, uh, a division that's really been dominated by the Saints and the Buccaneers for a long time now. One of the teams that's been at the bottom for a really long time, the Carolina Panthers, they're sitting pretty at 3-1 and one right now. Now, of course, they still have got a – a lot of division matchups against the two teams I mentioned. And in my mind, you kind of have to dethrone those type of teams before you can, you know, get to the top. The Saints and Buccaneers, that is. But at the same time, each and every year, you see a team go from last to first or from under 500 to first in the NFL. Are the Carolina Panthers right. that team this year? Ooh, that's a good question right there. I've been I've been trying to check them out, and I, you know, what when I go and I base teams in the NFL, you know, the coach matters, and I like what I've seen him doing over there, and I like how they're reacting. Then it 
then I, you know, then, then when you measure that up, you know, you got to go talent wise. So I think that they're still missing a few pieces. So I would say that they're a pretender, but it's like, they almost need a, we need another word. They're right there. <laughs> but I put they're them like on the a, cusp. as a pretender. Yeah. They're on the cusp, but, uh, you know, um, with uh, McCaffrey, you know, being, being in and out and his health, and that's a big base foundation of them uh, being able to move the ball, which they're showing that they've been able to do without him right now. But when it comes down to these better teams, you're going to need your main weapons in order to win. Yeah, and, and I don't I'm think they're deep enough this. yet. Yeah, I, look, I agree with you. I think they're a pretender as well. You know, and I, yes, I know that McCaffrey's supposed to be supposedly coming back sometime, and uh, they just made a trade for uh, Stephon Gilmore from the Patriots. They only had to give up a round six pick. Patriots obviously didn't want to pay the young man, and the Carolina Panthers stepped up and said, "Hey, we'll we'll take him, shore up that secondary for us." Good move on their part, but I do think that they are, uh, you know, still, you know. Maybe they're at the brink. Maybe they're a year away. I don't think they're there yet. I put them in the pretender category. Uh, but what I was going to say, though, is, and, and I hate to make these kind of predictions, but to me it seems like at the running back position, once you start breaking down, you don't all of a sudden get like 100% for the rest of your career. And McCaffrey, right. we've seen him go down now enough to uh, to kind of label him as injury prone and – those injuries wear on you as a running back in that position. He's all about his elusiveness and speed. When you lose just a touch of that, you'd be amazed. It's amazing how much guys can go from superstar to like average uh, when they don't have that secret weapon, so to speak. So uh, like, for example, let's say uh, Tyreek Hill, the cheetah. He's a small Mm -hmm. dude. If he's, if he's not blazing speed, you know, he probably gets knocked out of a game and he's done, right? But because oh, he's yeah. super fast, you know, it makes him a superstar. And that doesn't – I'm not saying that these guys aren't great players because they are. But they're all about their – you know, it's all about their health, really. And once that's compromised, I think that's a big issue. Um, I would not be betting on McCaffrey, you know, being a Hall of Famer, even though he's got Hall of Fame talent. Okay, let's – Keep it moving, Adrian, and go to the AFC West. Now, on record, it looks like it's the best division in football, right? Because you have the Chargers at 3-1, right. and one, the Raiders at 3-1, and one, the Broncos at 3-1, and one, and the Chiefs, you know, perennial Super Bowl team at 2-2. Two and two. So let's start with the Chargers first at 3-1, and one, and we'll just work our way down this division because you can ask, are they a contender or pretender for all of them? Let's start with the Chargers. Oh, the Chargers are a contender, you know, and and almost like I said, in terms of uh, McCaffrey, you know, they've been a team that I've looked at the last few years and very similar to uh, McCaffrey, Duran James has been out of the lineup, you know, and he's a star. He's a star player, and I think we're, you know, everyone's seeing it now with how solid their secondary is. They're, they're across the board just covering people, you know, I – you, we just saw last week, you know, no one's really been, there's a couple moments, you know, where we've seen, I think, uh, Ruggs got, he got behind, uh, James, but you know, when you're watching the Raiders earlier in their first three games, it didn't seem like people couldn't cover them. And when you, and it was the total opposite with the chargers, 
<laughs> they were pretty much on them for a half. <laughs> yeah. So they're contenders. Especially okay, with that quarterback. Let's go to the Raiders. The Raiders. I I feel that they're pretenders in terms of what what we continue to state is that the season is long. Um now, when they have the run game with Jacobs, but we're starting to see the same thing there with it being nicked up and then what that does to the offense. If that running back Jacobs is running the ball and toting the ball, well, look at, look at what the offense is doing without him there. So, you know, they end up being a contender when, when the run game. But I think with how they're built right now, uh, they're not really built to last. They're built to kind of front run right now, especially in that, that division when it starts to get cold and you got to go out there and continue to run four or three gang gang switches up. You got to be healthy. You got to tote that rock. <laughs> How about the Denver Broncos? Now the Broncos are kind of interesting because they have actually given up, uh, the second least points in all of football. The bills have given up the least. They've only given up 44 and the Broncos have given up 49 just for uh, comparison purposes. Let's match up Denver's 49 to Kansas City's 125. So they're not quite three times. They they haven't exactly given up three times the amount of points as the Broncos, but it's getting pretty close. It's not even double. It's almost triple. Uh, Two and a half times to be exact. Three and one Broncos, contenders or pretenders? I would say they're uh, contenders, you know, uh, with – Vic Vangio over there with the defense, um, you know, I'd say almost similar to a team you mentioned before with, like, the Ravens, uh, like the old-school Ravens, where uh, their defense was so good and they had enough pieces on offense. You know, they have a couple running backs and that rushing attack, Noah Fan at tight end, um, wideouts, Sutton. So I think that they have enough in that defense – if they're able to keep them in the game, kind of even like the one where Peyton, Peyton, Peyton Manning was out there. They had just enough, but that defense was so good, and I think that that's what keeps them in the game as a, a contender right now. All right, and the one that everybody's going to be talking about if they keep on doing what they're doing are the Arizona Cardinals, 4-0. Are they a contender or are they a pretender? The Cardinals. That's the squad right there. They're the contender. Yes, They're sir. The top contender. <laughs> yes, They're the sir. Top contender. Um, for all the yeah, listeners of you know, this they, show, by the way, for all the regular listeners, they do know that I predicted them before the season started. It's on tape. Go back and listen. I said that the Arizona Cardinals would win the NFC West. I also made another bold prediction, Big A, in that because they've added another playoff team, I said that the whole division. No joke. The whole NFC West is going to go to the playoffs. Arizona, the Rams, the 49ers. Uh, So that was kind of my prediction before the season started. But let's focus on the cards. What do you like about them offensively? What do you like about them defensively? So on the offensive side of the ball, of course, Hopkins, you know, uh, probably probably the best wideout in the league. And then you get an OG veteran and A.J. Green. Those two right there, along with Kirk, <laughs> they're another almost almost like the Cowboys, where they have some deep wide wide receivers. They have a mobile quarterback uh, that has an arm, and so they're just deadly across the board. 
in terms of every play that they can run. Uh, how do you keep him in the pocket? They have a couple of good running backs. Um, I think it's Connor and Thompson. Uh, so they're complete over there. Um, the yeah, Connor and Edmonds. The head coach. Chase Edmonds. Edmonds. Edmonds, yeah. They, they, uh, you know, you have a head coach who we've obviously seen in college, we're seeing now, uh, that knows how to put the points up and knows how to use his offensive talent. And I also like what they're doing on defense and the depth, uh, especially that they have at the linebacker level. Because in that uh, division, um, you, you know, you have, you have some of your other physical teams in the NFC over there, and you need to be able to stop the run. And I, I like what they have up front. They have Chandler Jones. Uh, they have Isaiah Simmons, uh, Zach Collins. You know, they're J.J. Watt. They're deep. They're deep on defense. And they have a good defensive coordinator, coordinator over there as well. Good stuff there. Let's go with one more contender or pretender. And by the way, actually, before we move off of them, J.J. Uh, Watt's got a little bit left in the tank, doesn't he? <laughs> he better have over there with the, with everybody they have on that defense. You know, I think I think that's one thing about uh, competition. You know, yeah. especially you know for him trying to, he's been in some games. Uh, you know, he's he's missed some opportunities with health wise. Um, you know, so he's he's definitely showing it. He's another one that has to show us that he can he can uh, be able to finish the season healthy. Okay, we've got about a minute, a little bit over a minute. Just really quickly, Cincinnati, three and one. Your team, got to ask about them. Contenders or pretenders? Uh, I would say uh, pretenders. Uh, just, just, just in terms of uh, defensively, um, I like the, I like what I'm seeing from the linebackers. Finally, but um, you know, to watch like how Jacksonville was able to kind of slow them down until they put the gas on. But I love what I'm seeing the continuity from the quarterback. And the wide receiver now, um, you know, you have not, you have someone that 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 the quarterback knows and that you can go up top on. That's uh, definitely what they need up in that that division. Good stuff there, Adrian. So before we uh, wrap up the show, guys, I know a lot of you wait until the very last segment to hear the picks of the week. So far, our tally is eight and three, won eight out of eleven picks so far through week four. Probably one of my better uh, percentages of all time through the first four weeks because that's usually when I'm feeling out the league. So I'm going to give you guys four picks for this week. Cincinnati plus three against the Packers at home. Since he's at home. Cleveland getting two and a half points against the Chargers on the road. The New York Giants getting seven at Dallas. And Kansas City two-and-a-half-point favorites only against the Buffalo Bills. I think that's a little bit of disrespect that they're only two-and-a-half-point favorites. Big A, thank you so much for joining us. That's all the time that we've got for this week's episode. Thank you for all the listeners out there. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.